Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Hello. Uh, welcome to Homo Superior. This is our extra issue talking about Shira season five. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Brent. <laughs> Who the fuck's next there? I'm really Kaylin. That out. I'm, I'm Kaylin. I'm Ryan. Ryan and Clark. And we also have an extra special guest with us. Uh, Sean Paul Ellis is here. Hey, everybody. How are you? Thank you so much for having me back, guys. No problem. Uh, yeah, so we typically obviously read our names off in order if you can't tell, and that <laughs> severely disrupted our experience for and all Clark, of us. And uh, Clark had to speak over my name. Kaylin is also here. Clark, Clark actually held it together more than I would have thought. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, we do have Sean Paul Ellis, Sean Paul, the, the rapper, Sean Paul is here. Uh, Sean Paul <laughs> Ellis is here, the host of the podcast Saturday Morning Cartoons, and that's Morning with a U. Saturday Morning Cartoons is a Collider.com weekly podcast for reviews and interviews. There's new episodes every Saturday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Uh, Sean, anything else to, to add about your wonderful show that people should be listening to? Uh, we actually... If you're, if you're interested after our conversation, which I would recommend you give a listen to as we talk about Shira, but uh, my co-host Dave Trumbor has also been able to interview and chat with Noel Stevenson, uh, again, creator showrunner for the final season of Shira. So she talks about some, some things there, a little bit spoiler free as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a good conversation to check out as well as a companion piece to this episode. I was gonna say, you heard it here first, fuck our drag, because we can't have Noel Stevenson on the podcast. <laughs> um so like we said we're reviewing shira season five it's the shira and the princess of power a netflix original developed by noel stevenson and produced by dreamworks animation television it premiered on november 13 2018 and somehow managed to crank out five seasons in less than two years absolutely insane (laughs) um before we get started just as a quick synopsis for the season uh immediately picking up where season four left off season five begins with horde prime launching his attack on etheria hoping to activate the ultimate weapon and bring the typical bad guy definition of peace and order to the universe. Looking to stop him are an in-prison glimmer, a conflicted Catra, a depowered Adora, and Trapta and Bo. Meanwhile, on Earth, Perfume becomes a de facto leader of the rebellion as Horde Prime infiltrates it through mind-body control, bringing the likes of Micah and Scorpia under his purview. Season also introduces new characters like the star siblings, Rong Hordak and Melog, while bringing back old favorites like Shadow Weaver. It's a who's who of Eternia that ends with Shira returning better than ever, Eternia and the universe being saved, and what is likely to be one of the most iconic on-screen kisses for a young adult TV show. Is uh, it Eternia or is it Ether- Etheria? Etheria. <laughs> Nailed it. Did you remember to watch the show? I sure did. Apparently I like flipped <laughs> over halfway through. Uh, so speaking of what happened on Etheria for season five, what makes the season the best? It's our typical way to open this uh, discussion. So why don't we start with Brent? Um, The best is how gay it is. I mean, it really, I thought in earlier seasons, it, it has a, it does have gay stuff all throughout. You can tell that it's a gay oriented show, but in this season it made any implicit thing explicit um, in a way that I didn't think was actually uh, particularly bad with uh, maybe the exception of the final relationship uh, between Adora and Katra. 
Um, but obviously we'll talk about that more. <clears throat> uh, anybody else? Ryan. I, I love in true form of some of my favorite animated shows, it would have an opening and a closing and a set story. And we didn't get a bunch of nonsense seasons. It had a beginning and ending. And I think for any of the good animated series that will probably go into a few, like it needs to have an overall goal. Yeah, when they're making a season per week, they don't have time for a lot of fat. <laughs> uh, Sean, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I love the fact that it, you know, it didn't feel like there was a lot of, there doesn't feel like there was much filler at all. So just really kind of going towards that objective, it, everything kind of felt complete. I, I, you know, I know that there were a lot of characters that they kind of brought in towards the very end to kind of, reflect and give them a little bit of the spotlight just to kind of acknowledge the the trip and the journey that they've gone on, you know, over the five seasons. And it was nice to kind of see all of them, uh, you know, but it, it felt like there was a natural conclusion. Like I'm, I'm glad that this kind of wrapped up in the way that it did. I'd say, you know, if I was thinking that there was something that was like the worst, I would say that uh, there were a couple characters that I would have loved to have seen more of. There was definitely, and this is like such a small niche thing where they, they talk about Perfuma kind of like unleashing her powers. They talk about it and it's in so much dialogue and I understand why they did it, but I honestly thought that the way that they built it up, that there was going to be a payoff where she was going to take that leadership role and kind of allow herself. I she would said, become a swamp thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I almost said blossom, Kaylin, and I was like, Ooh, a little on the nose. Yeah, I know. Like, let her powers really kind of come to fruition or at least allow herself to kind of accept the fact that she has that power and that she is very capable as, as a fighter and, and, you know, is deserving to, to be able to lead the princesses. Uh, but, you know, they, I, I get why they, they didn't do it. Uh, there was still kind of that anticipation where that was the, if that was the worst thing that happened the whole season, I'm, I'm really good with that. Yeah, well, we're sliding a little bit into what was the worst of the season. So I'd love, Caitlin, kind of, if you to hit both notes, um, what's the best? Best, or the best, best and worst. Um, so I agree with everything that Brent, Ryan, and Sean have said. Um, I love how queer it was. I love that it was a, you know, a finite uh, number of seasons. Um, uh, I'll say I really liked uh, how they developed the villain this season, um, uh, Horde Prime. Um, I think uh, uh, like a show about heroic fantasy uh, is only as good. I know Brent is making a face at me right now, but um, that's just I enjoyed how <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, I enjoyed kind of how creepy it was. It was a little derivative. I'm getting into some of the um, uh, negatives, but it was a little derivative of like the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica, as well as um, you know, like the the Borg from Star Trek Next Generation, um, and uh, like with all the various sort of hordes who are you know like as like his clones. Um, but I enjoyed kind of how creepy and unsettling he was uh, as a villain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I truly enjoy the show. Um, I do think some of the weaknesses uh, of this uh, of this season, it's it plays into certain tropes of children's heroic like fantasy a little bit more than I think it needed to. Like it should have been called Shira Friendship is Magic. Like. Uh, <laughs> It's like friendship will save us all. And I think Ryan called it uh, on our season four podcast when uh, Shira's sword, sword gets broken. Oh, I'm sure she's going to find the sword in her, you know, like, and of course she does. Uh, it's just, it's like, it's the Care Bear stare effect that happens with all these characters. If they can only find the power within, 
and I understand why they do it. And, um, you know, from a, from a writing standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, but I just sort of feel as somebody who's not a child, um, you know, it's just, it's, I, I've just seen that trope a little bit too much, but it's a fairly minor complaint, uh, for a show that I overall enjoyed. And Clark, you have to say one good thing before you I'm can I'm gonna say, I'm, I don't know if I wanna say my bad stuff right now. Um, just in terms of the amount of queer content, this show is amazing in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, there is a certain aspect of that queer content that I think absolutely ruins the show. And I'll talk about that later when we bring it to that section. Sounds good. Um, I, can I say what, uh, disagree with Kaylin on the villain? I actually think that's the worst part. Um, I thought Hordak Prime, the, the stuff around Hordak was uh, interesting and good, even if derivative. I like the hive mind. I like the kind of big brother security everywhere type um, way he operates. But then when you get down to his core and they're trying to talk to him about what his evil plan is, they're like, if you operate the heart of Etheria, you're going to kill all life in the universe. And he's like, yeah, I believe you, great. That's what I want to do. I just, that will bring peace to the universe. And I thought that was such a weak, it's not even, I, I, it would even be better if he said he wants total dominance over the universe or something, but he, I, I mean, yeah, the way I see it makes sense in that regard. I don't, was he super strong as a big bad? I mean, every big bad, from every kid's show or role-playing game is usually set up for world domination, destruction, or what have you. So I don't really want to hold it too much against it, but I do agree that, I do agree that it was a little bit weak, but I disagree with the fact that it makes total sense for him as a character, for someone who's literally immortal. It's like, what better way than to close the storybook and like say, there's peace, even if that means nothing exists, or like there's order, even if that means that I basically control everything. Like he did it I, his way. He went yeah. out on his own terms. I think the motivation overall makes sense, but I still think it was lacking far more than I think a lot of the character dynamics of the previous seasons with Hordak and Catra uh, and, and other other players. I I don't think um, I don't think he was terrible. I think he really wanted to assimilate everyone, and I don't think that was that terrible as a villain. I I think why she does so well um but you, you want to spend time with all these characters so it's all like i the plot got very convoluted but i didn't give a shit because i cared about how all these characters interacted and that's what i was watching it for at that point also horde prime is basically palpatine he had a bunch of clones. He was hooked up to a goo machine. At one point, he said, strike me down. It's like he's, he's Palpatine, but done better than the last Rise of Skywalker. She-Ra had a sword. It's basically a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. They go into the asteroid field. They go to the asteroid field to escape, you know, uh, all that. That was very meta because they're like, well, they won't find us in the asteroid field. And boom, they find them right away. All of the robots. <laughs> like playing off the... Playing, uh, playing off the whole Empire Strikes Back. Uh, All of the like, robots fucked point. each other off screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you guys do bring up an overall good point about characters, particularly Ryan, is that I think some of the biggest players that we've come to know and love over the five seasons are really the villains and the neutral characters. So your Catra, your original Hordak, Entrapta, Scorpia, Shadow Weaver. Almost every single character besides Horde Prime on this show that had 
some point been at odds with Adora and her cast of super friends, um, really felt a positive character arc at the end and change and what have you. So how many of those did you actually feel uh, worked? All of them, none of them? What, what was going on in your mind? Um, they all kind of ended up having a bit of a redemptive arc, which uh, at first I was like, I sort of predicted it was going to happen, but it made sense when Horde Prime's ultimate um, objective was to destroy the universe. So survival uh, can turn your former adversary into, you know, a temporary ally or even permanent ally. So we knew Catra's like redemption arc was on its way. Um, we, we already saw Shadow Weaver's redemption arc happen like, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Um, the, the Hordak one was a little surprising to me and how it was sort of entrapped as like, like her relationship with him was the one that sort of like brought him to, you know, the good side, at least temporarily. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I hope, uh, I mean, obviously the show ends when it ends, but it's like, uh, uh, Mermista even says, so I guess we're cool with this now. Like this guy caused like uh, <laughs> decades of damage, destruction and death on Etheria. Um, and like all of a sudden it's like, oh, I guess we're all good. You know, uh, that, that kind of bugged me a little bit, but um, you know, I, I sort of predicted yeah. some of the other, the other redemptive arcs happening. What a way to fix a character. We're just gonna er erase his memory several times and then have some character love him into being someone different. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I will say Hordak was the one that held me up the most because I was almost, I really appreciate the relationship that Hordak and Entrapta built. And like, it all makes sense. Like he was, her people, her people, as uh, Carl always says. And I think like Hordak's a perfect character for that where I don't, a lot of it was driven from his upbringing and overall like life. Uh, but I do, I wish they kind of had a little bit more time to epilogue. And I think in that epilogue, it would have been good to see him and Entrapta sort of be like, we're gonna go off on our own for a while. So it's not like, you know, don't hold us hopefully to uh, a public trial, but we'll never be in your lives again for a very long time kind of thing, so. Could you, could you imagine an entire series of just them on Beast Island trying to figure it out? <laughs> That's Survivor style Beast Island. I would kind of be cool with that. I'm into that spinoff. I Thank wanna you. watch that. <laughs> they were always my favorite characters um, in previous seasons. Their interaction, especially season three on. Um, yeah. You were talking about redemption. I love a redemption arc. You know, this is originally like this. It's a, you know, X-Men comic. I love Emma Frost's heel turn. I love a Magneto heel turn. I love when um, Namor, you know, became a, an X-Men and, you know, straight on, you know, the side of angels kind of thing. I find issue where redemption comes through um, romance. Because mm. especially in these cases, these are romances that are built. Katra and... Um, Adora. And Adora is a romance built on one, like physically abusing the other one the entire run. This is an entire show that's shipping domestic violence, which I find incredibly uncomfortable. I, it's hard for me to enjoy this show because from, very early on, I realized that they were going to end up, you know, obviously they were going to end up giving her redemption arc, but giving her redemption arc at the expense of a... Uh, survivor of domestic abuse fought, like ending up with the person who did it is is very just triggering as shit for me having to actually have gone through it mm -hmm. having to see my grandmother gone through it I just I it's hard to 
give any you know props to this show because this one issue which is the crux of this entire show is this relationship between these two people um ending this way is very upsetting to me and i wouldn't be just being on this podcast i didn't know how to do this episode because of this and i didn't know i've got a lot of stuff written down i don't know what i want to talk about what i want to talk about and how to bring it in through different parts but i just don't really know how to deal with it I, mean, I think that's okay. I mean, I think that certainly makes sense. And I, it was actually in watching this show, there's a lot of relationships across television where I think you always have opposites attract or like everyone's always shipping villains and heroes together. And that's a very dicey proposition based on like, obviously real life and what you're describing, Clark, so. I just have issues with, you know, I mean, throughout I don't know. We, we go through this world where, you know, the little boy is pulling the girl's pigtail because he thinks he finds he thinks she's cute. And we're supposed to be getting past this and building off of that and saying like, no, this is not how, you know, little boy should be able to functionally emote instead of, you know, attacking. Mm-hmm. And this is literally, Katra has been for five seasons attacking this woman. And we find out, you know, it's all because she's been like part of it, obviously, she's been abused by many, many people throughout the years, but a lot of the, she's had this romantic interest the entire time. So like, why are you constantly assaulting her, leaving for her for dead on cliffs, trying to blow up planets, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's frightening that children are going to get out of this, that this is an acceptable way to behave if you're romantically into someone. Not, not acceptable, but the outcome uh, yeah, that can come it, from this is a positive thing. I would be to- I love a redemption arc where it comes together, uh, uh, Dora and Catcher come together, and they're like, you know, we love each other, but so much has gone through between us that this is not healthy for us to try or continue, and for Catcher uh, uh, to grow and change and find other people, find her people right. somewhere else that she hasn't devastated. Well, I which guess I think. And, just in terms of you were talking about the epilogue and everything, um, right. what Ryan was mentioning, the epilogue, I thought maybe in, if there were an epilogue like 15 years on, right. they revisit their relationship, that would be inter- that would be something that's acceptable to me. I just don't like that an ag- abuser can, you know, grow and change, but that, that, I don't know, be rewarded with the victim of their abuse. Well, Absolutely I- chilling. It, that, last, that, that last episode was just like, I wanted to throw up. Mm. Well, I know it's a sensitive question, so feel free to answer it or don't, but it, how did how does that affect how you saw even Shadow Reaver's relationship with Catra and Adora, since obviously she was not the best surrogate mother in many <clears throat> ways? Like, is it the same, or is it, it's like, obviously a different, relate? it's not an intimate relationship, but it's a familial one in a sense, so I don't know if that... I mean, dealing with a family who's had, I mean, my grandfather beat the shit out of my father so many times his and his father beat the shit out of him so many times that this like hold the cycle of violence that's going on um i i don't i don't know how to properly go through that i don't know how you can accept the sacrifice of somebody who's also okay though i wasn't gonna bring this up but i am um so you know yesterday was memorial day monday was memorial day excuse me and my cousin my aunt and uncle posted on Facebook a thing about you know like the picture of their father and you know like this is his grave and blah 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 and just 
the fact that they're celebrating a man who beat the shit out of his wife so much and his kids that like I, I don't know how you reward sacrifice like that I mean it's, it's maybe like a bigger person than me who can do it mm. that these people on this show can do it which is very impressive but I don't know real world wise I, I don't know I don't know how to go to parts of this show and that's why I wasn't sure I should be on this podcast or not so I don't know and you don't have to I think it's good that you shared that I think there are parts of character development especially that certainly you know there there's a of course as a kid show they have to wash over grim realities like the fact that certain characters murdered soldiers or they killed innocent people and they like to pretend that they're bloodless like any rivalries that people have if both people survive in the end that that's the only thing that really mattered, despite the fact that people said things that, you know, or did things that were really truly harmful. And I think that one of my problems with them, you know, kind of coming together at the very end was to me, Katra's redemption arc is something I wanted, but I thought that the way the show handled it was that she feels bad for what she's done and is basically told, if you start doing good now, that's okay. And people will accept you eventually. That, and that you don't see, I don't think as much contrition, as much trying to right wrongs on an individual level, that there are a lot of moments where characters go, we're just accepting this now. Oh, isn't this crazy and weird? Rather than having to you know, go through some process of making recompense or people specifically saying like, I don't care if she said she's good. She's got enough bad in her life that I'm not going to accept her as being one of us. Yeah, could we have an but entire epilogue season that's an epilogue that's them like building off of this and trying to like... I was like, that's the show I want to watch. Honestly, that? like, that's the comic series I want to read or the show I want to watch. Like, it's, it's almost... Rebuilding society after a war. Yeah, like, well... A rebellion, yeah. And aging up the characters, aging up the story, and taking it as serious as it probably could. Again, like, I think you're exactly right, Brent. Like, this is a kid show. There's going to be, we watch Star Wars movies, and you're like, what are the implications of that, like, ethical or ethical mistreatment? Like, there's always going to be these blockbuster type or kid type or young adult type things that literally don't give a fuck about all the intricacies of the worlds that they're creating. Um, and I, I think that's also where good content is created because even obviously this podcast reviews comic series constantly. I mean, you have powers, you have ecstatics, like you have all of these series that say, okay, what if there were superheroes? Let's take this a little bit more seriously and how does that play out? And what does that mean for uh, real people? So, Well, building off that, um, I think, you know, uh, another trope of heroic fiction is, um, you know, uh, because the characters are good, they're going to win. Mm -hmm. um, and these are sort of fairy tales that we tell ourselves. And I, again, it's a kid's show. And like, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be more complex than that. But in my personal life, you know, working in politics and doing campaigns, you know, one of the things I'm a, a trainer of a campaign module. And the first thing that we tell people um, uh, that we're training is, just because you're, you think you're in the right doesn't mean you're gonna win. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of transposing that to these characters 
who are incredibly forgiving of the bad actions that, you know, Hordak took, that Katra took, that even Shadow Weaver took, uh, because, um, because they had their um, anti-heel turn, that they are now uh, absolved of their previous, uh, their previous, you know, atrocities. Um, and I, again, I, you know, if this was a, like a Game of Thrones type of show or something that was much more, you know, made for, for adults, even though us being six men in our, you know, 30s and 40s, uh, who uh, are all, you know, consuming this, and I'm sure there's a lot of other adults consuming this, it is still ultimately a children's show. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get around it. I don't have the answers. Maybe there's a, like a, uh, like the, uh, Black Mirror season five, where you're able to switch, be- pick between options. And, like, does Hordak get the heart of Etheria? And then the show just goes black. Or you're like, does this relationship work out? I mean, I think it would have been more fitting if, as Hordak kind of came to his senses, Frosta ice spiked him from behind and was like, go fuck yourself. I <laughs> say hello to my mother and then pushed him <laughs> off the cliff. But, um, uh yeah well so on the other side of redemption there's also just exposure and awareness and there were a lot of sort of making way for side characters in season five so beyond adora glimmer and Bo, we had two particular episodes but in, in general the entire season focused on a few new faces or a few ongoing faces that never really had a lot of screen time inclusive of spinnerella and natasa's relationship Perfuma playing leader, Frosta and Michael getting, uh, Michael getting to pilot parenting. Um, I, I noticed, so I, I'll jump in just in my own thoughts on this because someone had mentioned before that there wasn't really any fat to cut. And while I think those two episodes overall succeeded in moving forward the plot, it actually felt like a strange break to me to focus on these characters for only like one to two episodes just to give them a little bit more development. I think it was interesting, but I do feel like especially one after the other in the sequencing of events, and uh, it did feel a little bit like, why the fuck are we focusing on these people now? Um, but I'm definitely interested to hear what you all think in terms of the elevation of some of these side characters and side plots. Well, two, two people that I was really happy for, and I hope they're living well together now, <laughs> Natasha and Spinderella. Spinderella, uh, yes. I like, always call I'm her Spinderella. Spinderella? <laughs> What's her name? Spinderella. Yeah, oh, she, oh she, sorry. Yeah, she's not part of Salt and Pepper. She quit Salt and Pepper and married yeah. her wife of long time love. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so happy that they actually, they were the two princesses that were always there. They were always part of the team, yeah. but they never really got featured. So I'm glad, even though one of them happened to be brainwashed the entire time, I'm happy that they got some time to shine a little bit. And honestly, they seem kind of more powerful than some of the other ones that were featured constantly. Yeah. It was nice to see. I, I thought that, you know, being able to have, uh, I keep wanting to say Spinderella now, so thanks. For that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that Spinderella, you know, kind of was, uh, had that mind control to sort of see her kind of unleash and some of the powers that she possessed, I think it also did a really great job of kind of reinforcing that there is queer content that is in this show with Natasha suddenly now really having solid stakes about why she is in this mm-hmm. battle and why she cares mm-hmm. and she's fighting for her wife. I mean, and that, yeah. was, that was great to kind of see that inclusion and that focus for, you know, even those two episodes that we had, but just the continuation of kind of why this mattered to, to, to her 
and then eventually to both of them that they, you know, that they would be successful against Horde Prime. And to that point, this show treats queer relationships so matter of fact, like, it's not a big deal. I have two dads, just live with it. Like, this is how everyone should be treating these issues. If more, not shows, but everyone just thought more like this, it'd be like, it would be so helpful to not like make it a big deal. It's, it's just matter of fact. And also right. Double Trouble got doubly screwed this last yeah. season. We yes. needed way more representation from Double Trouble. And also probably my favorite character. Just so fun. I, Ryan, there was another show that came out that is on Netflix right now that does also a really great job at being able to just matter-of-factly throw out that a character is gay. And uh, so check out Kipo in the Age of the Wonder Beast. Mm. Uh, there's just I was a, thinking it was that one. Yeah, it's exactly that, where there's just a character that's in there where, you know, somebody says, like, I think I like you. And this character just responds by saying, like, I'm gay. And that's it. That's like, amazing. they don't, they don't need yeah. to get into it anymore. It's just like, that's who I am. And the person's accepting of it. And they continue to be friends. So it's, yeah. I love, I love being able to include that. And as, you know, as a, as a straight white guy about to be 40, like, this doesn't take away from the story in any way, shape, or form. I, it, I get so frustrated when I see people who are continue to be upset about the fact that there's like uh, any type of inclusion in these cartoons. It doesn't detract. It, it makes these characters much more interesting. It makes them deeper. It, you, you understand a little bit more about some of their motivations mm -hmm. and their passions. Sean, push your agenda on your own podcast on here. <laughs> we are red-blooded, heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a good christian podcast oh i do one of the only ones that really fell flat for me i thought was perfuma's they i feel like perfuma's always been play perfuma and froster were basically tertiary princesses throughout most of the series i think i think uh frosta definitely got a few episodes especially with glimmer in some of the middle seasons in terms of their relationship forming i did like them to see the parenting stuff between mike and frosta just just felt a throwaway and then Perfuma's whole, I think, uh, monologue to Catra about how she's like the better friend. I think it was the right words, but I was just like, I, these characters had one moment in a weird fucking underwater jazz club and now they're best pals. Like she's the only one that knows Scorpia. I like could understand it because I think that's how quickly childhood relationships form and crumble. But I think it's a, it just didn't feel as built up as it could have been. Like I And I was a little disappointed that we didn't see more of Scorpia and Swiftwind because early on, like you saw them bonding. That and I was, was like, fun. I was like, this makes sense to me. You yes. two are like the exact weirdos that like would obviously become friends and they, they barely touched on it again. Anything Swift that gets wind. Scorpia and Swiftwind more screen time doesn't yes. matter. Um, totally. Yeah. That, that Swiftwind should have got a make makeover as well. I feel like <laughs> you know how Shira did. Swiftwind yeah. should have also gotten a make more bird horse like. You know, Shira. Yeah. Perfect. Shira how dare you? Transforms. Shira transforms and she gets a new makeover, and then far and away and separate, Swiftwind just gets a massive, larger unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> um. I do think you yeah, mentioned, uh, Ryan, that Double Trouble got sidelined. Uh, it was also, I don't know if you caught Huntara in the literally last episode, just as a face in the crowd. Mm. Uh. And then Lonnie, Rigella, and Kyle were nowhere to be seen. They literally were like, we're quitting the horde, and they were never heard from again. 
And did you uh, catch the throwaway line of uh, Scorpio basically saying that Kyle had a crush on, uh, is it Regello? Uh, I can never remember his name. Regelio. I was like, yep, knew it. I knew, I knew there was something there. <laughs> Um, and and it's, I, the only reason why it's disappointing is because they also introduced the star siblings who were interesting, but were in the entire show for one episode. Like, was that an attempt to spin off or? I know. I was like, where are they on the ship? I was so confused. I thought they were coming. We're definitely going to join you, but later, like at some point. And you're like, okay. In the epilogue. Right. You know, they, but the they, they, they do, see. they do talk like at the very end of the season, they talk about like things to come next. Mm-hmm. and sort of branching out from just their single, you know, like one planet focus to the entire universe. And so there's a part of me that really kind of wants the star siblings to make a return. They were great characters. I liked them a lot. Yeah, yeah. They, were it was, they were one of the reasons why I was sad this was the last season only because I wanted to see, just like uh, Korra is to uh, Avatar, like I wanted to see what happens now, like, right, jump into the future. And I think that's what we're all kind of asking for, which is a sign of a good show. Like, I need to see more of this world. Um, and I, I, especially them, it was just very odd to pop them in and be like, all right, they'll never be around again. Um, May I so pose a question to the sure group? Can. So the people who, so this, this is technically a rebrand, a reboot, whatever you want to call it, of the original She-Ra from back in the day. This has gone far beyond the original series um, and turned into something completely different. Do you still see any of those inspirations still from the original series in it? Because I think this last season actually uh, spot, uh, like, had like, a little bit more of that vibe where they were a little bit more spacefaring. Jumping on the asteroids really reminded me of like He-Man and She-Ra. Like, it reminded me of sort of that. I, I just wanted to see if you thought it's completely its own thing now or it still had some of those inspirations, maybe like Kaylin or Sean. Um, the characters, um, I barely remember the original. I haven't seen it since, you know, it first aired. Um, so I think just from the, uh, from some of the space fairing, some of the adventure type stuff, I think you may have a point, Ryan, but uh, the characters are completely different to me. It's like, Earth one, Earth two, like these are, they had their like, these are their, their archetypes and then they've moved beyond them. Yeah, I think a lot of the characters, I, I agree with Kaylin, like I think that a lot of the characters that you saw in the original He-Man and She-Ra are very one dimensional for sort of like those weekly serial kind of adventures. And you know, their name and the pun of their name was really kind of all that they had <laughs> You gotta know. sell those action figures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that was it. You know, they 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 weren't really anything beyond a, a punny name. And, and get all those kids who love nets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, no, but I I could see you them. Joke, in the room. But there was a huge burst in uh, broom sales since yeah. Madame Raz had a. Oh, you could you could literally hear the uh, TV or like fake toy execs that are like, okay, you attach the net into her hand and then she throws it when you pull the trigger on the back. It's Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the toys. Uh, uh, while I was watching this last season and you know they had the He-Man toys which all they all were like bow-legged and super muscly they looked like you know they were about to go to Mal and then the She-Ra toys were like basically like Barbies uh, if I remember correctly but a little bit like more like action figure size than doll size but they made Hordak a He-Man action figure mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that or not but like I was like it's like 
the villain, like the main villain oh. from Shira, was like uh, labeled under He-Man the Masters of the Universe. So because they needed to give him that sort of muscly, like you know, yeah. kind of like that um, whatever the uh, what's it called, like the uh, the shell of the toy or the, mm-hmm. um, the like the kit. I remember the there. toy. Yeah. Like, yeah, I remember yeah. being gutters, like the mold. Gutters, I think you're. I remember being mold. a little kid <laughs> and gutters. Jesus Christ. My my friends, we 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 like basically had all of our He-Man toys, and whoever had a certain one, we bring them all over. And Hordak was always involved in our He-Man toy play. Instead of you know, yeah. he was. I would. Ever, I would love uh, our He-Man toy play <laughs> is quite a yeah. there. You were the first. <laughs> you bring, wow. Did you bring Fisto over? That's all I want to know. <laughs> yeah. I would love for the toys that are made for this She-Ra, for the She-Ra toy to like, you press a compartment and you can pull a sword out of her chest <laughs> the whole time. Oh God. Um, well, I do, I'm gonna, I think probably trying to make as, in the effort for discussion, like trying to make as, as agnostic of the relationship between Catra and Adora. And I think Clark, as you brought up a very good point of the more like, intense uh, elements of it, particularly around partner abuse and things like that. I do want to call out that they, in a kid show, they did have a final kiss between them, barring positive or negative for where they could go next. I think that is a major milestone for young adult television. I don't think there's really been a TV show like this, I think with as much mainstream appeal. And I think, Sean, you kind of posed a question just as we were chatting about it before the podcast. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this kind of intersects with uh, the end of Cora and just where your where your head's at. Sure, and I, I actually, I cannot take uh, any credit for this question. This, this was 100% my wife. We had actually just finished Legend of Korra uh, maybe about a month ago, and then thankfully She-Ra came out. So this was still very like fresh in our mind, but she wanted to know, and I, she was kind of curious to get all of our responses do we feel that this kiss was in response to other notable cartoons who did not deliver on a same-sex relationship? Uh, yeah, specifically Legend sure. of Korra, they allude to a same-sex relationship with Korra and Asami Sato, but they only ever hint at it. They never really show uh, anything more than just maybe like a handhold mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that. And so uh, I'm kind of curious to know what you guys think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think Noel Stevenson wanted to explore queerness through uh, a young adult animated show. I think she did a, a phenom- phenomenal job, uh, um, despite some of the stuff that Clark said, which I agree with. Uh, but the representation, I think, was great. And she was like, you know what? Uh, we shouldn't be afraid to show this. Who cares what, you know, a bunch of bigots say that, like, kids, sh- kids shows shouldn't show this. Whereas kids shows for decades have shown heterosexual relationships. So we're already brainwashing children that the norm is heterosexuality. Uh, And so why not show, you know, uh, a loving relationship? Let's say Natasha and uh, Spinnerella, you know, um, uh, in a committed uh, marital relationship uh, and, you know, showing their affection for one another and their concern for one another. Uh, I think it was great. Those two dads as well. I think that was great point. Huge, uh, huge pickup in terms of. Yeah. I think of it in terms of like, like the contrary. Like if, if the whole show went without them confessing their love to each other and having a kiss, would I be upset with where their characters ended up 
if if instead the the ending point was that they resolved that they could have an amicable amicable good relationship with each other and be friends i would say on the one hand it's a positive to have characters who are you know who were once enemies who could be friends and could show a way forward on the other hand the show is full of women who are friends with each other and so that would add nothing additionally to the story and so would kind of feel like a wasted opportunity even if it was i don't think it was like it would be objectively bad to do yeah no i'm in especially having finished quora earlier this year um i was um happy with the on-screen representation uh of that and you know i think it's also, it, it's really interesting too, because I think in a show that's filled with queer representation, I actually didn't expect them to go the full length with some of the main characters. So that was another big, cause there's always like, we're definitely reaching a good uh, level of representation where it's like, oh yeah, there's always that side character that may or may not have a side story, but now usually has a love interest. You have like Mr. Terrific and Arrow and a bunch of other people I can't think of right now, but in, in general, it's still more sideline. Where, as I was watching Shira, I was actually wondering if they were gonna really pull the trigger on that because there has to, just like for every other minority group, um, you know, black characters that are main characters, LGBTQ characters that are main characters, women who are main characters. Like, there's there's gonna have to continue to be the shift where mainstream like bought in shows actually feature these characters and main characters and it's not just media individualized for that community of consumers it's just good television that people can get over and be like i don't look like that person who's the main character but that's okay because it's all about how i feel or what i get out of the the story more so than who represents the kind of good or bad uh lessons lessons learned in it but uh, Adam, don't you know that the main characters are supposed to look like you and all the characters around them are supposed to fill your wish, uh, wish fantasies? <laughs> well, Brent, uh, Adam does have the Minion series, so he's got that covered. There you go. <laughs> well, um, well, so it is- Noelle Stevenson yeah. and her wife have the same birthdays as Katra and, and Adora. So I thought it was, I mean, this was going to happen from this first second the show started. Mm. Uh, that's just mm. me knowing mm. too much and not through the show because that's what I do all the time. Yeah, you did a lot more research than I did. They didn't mention <laughs> the birth dates on the show. I know, that's no. what I'm saying. I'm just saying in general. I, I, yeah, she's like, like well, I can't fight yeah, that was, battle. What? It's Clark? June 3rd, which is your birthday. Why birth did you fucking day? know that? I'm like, Clark, it's not lost. You're not supposed to be Wikipediaing after this every This isn't Wikipediaing. This is literally her tweeting. Like two years ago. Just so you know, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, that's what she said. So basically, well, that's, I was, yeah. Yeah, but I, I do think that the, I do think the recommendation, not to, uh, I think the overall recommendation of having dust settle, things change, and establishing that kind of trust. But I, I see what, I think it, I think probably there was a conflict, it seems like, at least from our perspective of how we're discussing it, there's a conflict with like, how these relationships need time to resolve and yes. process and really go deep versus to, I think your point, Brent, which is like, there needs to be, they had a goal to end the show with something that I think would certainly get people to talk or connect or discuss 
Um, so, you know. I think that should, there, she needed to have start working on not the rehabilitating, but finding ways to validate the actions sooner. Yes. Or like no, she shouldn't have just out. straight up been involved in the quasi murder of Glimmer's mother. <laughs> Right. Um, like literally there's so many things that needed to have been judged in order to make a final romance palatable to me or palatable in a way that doesn't involve this weird quasi domestic violence -y aspect to it. So I don't know how to get through that with an action action adventure Joe. <laughs> yeah no, I, I wanted to say thank you to Clark. I know he's always been kind of hesitant to come on and talk about She-Ra um, but you've actually you've given me a lot to really kind of like think about that I had not considered even going back to the first episode that I came on to talk about Shira with you. When I you know, screamed. <laughs> yes. I, I think that, uh, I think my initial impression of sort of the, the relationship dynamic was sort of that mean girl dynamic that they had where they were kind of picking on each other mm -hmm. like kids do, uh, you know, and then to kind of see it blossom into the relationship you know, I wasn't really sure. I'll be honest with you. The moment that they kissed, I, there was a part of me that was like, okay, I mean, I do get this. I, I understand it. And representation wise, I'm very happy that this has happened and that I'm happy that I'm in a position and we're all able to talk about this uh, and discuss this. But I'll be honest and say that Clark, you, you've given me a lot to think about uh, regarding sort of like how healthy the relationship was and the direction that's there that I had not necessarily considered originally. So thank you. Yeah. That's what we're I, here I, for. for I agree with that. You're somewhere. welcome. I mean. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm I, sorry you I'm had that experience. I'm kidding, thank yeah. you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, it it's makes not, it's me not okay, buddy. I'm glad that you're able to talk about it with us. So thank you. It makes me rethink about the, uh, recontextualize the scene where they flash back to when both Katra and Adora were young in this mm -hmm. season and you know Katra runs away and doesn't have dinner and you know Adora comes after her and she scratches Adora's face and it's because Adora's been hanging out with somebody else and mm. Katra's obviously jealous and like I think some abusive relationships manifest because the abuser is jealous of uh the person they're abusing the their loved one spending time emotionally or physically uh, it doesn't happen always, but it is it is something. So it made me kind of, yeah. Uh, Clark mentioned it. It makes me like kind of re look at it again in a completely different context. And it's wow, it's 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 incredibly disturbing. Well, it's I just think like yeah. looking back in this show in ten years, this issue will be much more noticeable. Oh yeah, and well, I mean, obviously by that I mean <clears throat> each we're going step by step showing you know queer queer relationships like as shows go on, as more shows do this it'll be more nuanced, not nuanced, excuse me, but more B buried, free, yeah, free but, of this kind of, you know, baggage. Yeah, but no, Clark, you are definitely hitting the nail on the head with your comments is that it's, it, it's the systematic way relationships work in media is like built into our DNA, right? Like since the honeymooners, everyone's operating yeah. around this like fat man, skinny woman, like some sort of subversive relationship. And it's like, as much as things have changed, there is a lot of kind of the state the sameness and particularly even for queer media or other types of uh, minority media is like, it's still gonna potentially rely on the back of like hundreds of years 
of how things were previously written. So I mean, we're dealing with queer love. There are so many shows like this is so strangely tropey that like it's constant where it's like you know some kind of nerdy whatever guy yeah. finds a guy attractive and the guy like either beats him up or tells him he's gonna kill him or calls him a fag and then like next scene is making out with him. Hey, Glee was my favorite. How dare you, Clark? It's literally, like <laughs> I was just watching Sex, sex Education, education early this year, and that happens like straight up. Like, oh, you know, it's so bad. Yeah, like he ends up with this guy who threatened to kill him you know, episodes earlier kind of stuff. And I, right. this is a little off tangent, but not really. So there have been, there are three British soap operas that I've watched a lot. And in the last two years, all of them have had a relationship that's built on two guys beating the shit out of each other and then kissing in the same scene. And it's, it's gross. And it's because there's this one, no, I don't have to explain it. There's a producer that's heavily involved in too much of these things. And well, isn't, I mean, that's like built around like the slap hat. It's not like, I feel like that's in the fifties and sixties too. Like everyone's slapping each other yes. and they're kissing. Like, yeah, exactly. It's lots, yeah. Of, lots of bad shit. I know. Um, it's like, we're continuing these things yeah. and now. And we're continuing it with, for a show geared towards what, nine-year-olds? Yeah. yeah. When Buffy Sean, did it, like completely drove me off the show, uh, or made me like like just not want to watch the show anymore in season six of Buffy. But yeah, Sean, there's you maybe talk uh, talk a little bit about some of the ways that what I've said has made you think. <laughs> um, well, just Wait, what did you say, Brent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What hasn't Brad said? Um, I think I do think to, to to piggyback a little bit on your uh, show, Sean. I do I do wonder if some of the stuff we've been talking about, if it at all came up with Noel, or if there's anything that you've heard or seen or discussed, like not necessarily with the Cadradora thing, but even just in general, some of the conversations of like characters being more upfront or characters being pulled back. Was there anything that you kind of gleaned from your conversation that would continue to help us make sense of the show? I, sadly, nothing that I think kind of addresses a lot of the things that we've been talking about right now. So, like, where's I, Double Trouble? <clears throat> you couldn't even answer that fucking question. I, what happened to Frosta? <laughs> <laughs> where's Mermista right now? Is she in a serious relationship with Seahawk? <laughs> what is actually happening there? Where are we going to have an entire season that's just a sing-along musical? Where's I, our epilogue immediately? Yeah, yeah I mean, I... I there's a part of me that wishes one that we had had like advanced screeners so that we could have all watched mm. this ahead of my, like the discussion with Noel so that I could have seeded some of these questions into the conversation just to kind of uh, push us in that right direction. But you know, the, the good thing is, is that I'm sure that in the sense that we've all said, you know, kind of a hallmark of something is that we want to spend more time with these characters yeah. and we want to spend more time in this universe. Like I get the distinct feeling like, we're going to see more in the future uh, whether it's yep. you know just specifically with adora and katra uh you know or if it's some of the surrounding characters and some of the people who are there i, I don't think you know I, I feel like we're going to get something else as a follow-up maybe not the epilogue that we want but mm -hmm. uh hopefully we'll be able to spend some more time within this universe all right they, could, they, could, they could absolutely easily do skip a bunch of years in the future and sort of just like Avatar did. Yeah. And just, you see Catra like making up for a lot of the stuff that she's done. Hordak making up for a lot of the stuff he's done. You could easily do that. Them hopping from different planets. You could, easy to see going forward. So I'm going to try to be careful about how I word 
this because I know that Brent Forced is in the middle of Avatar. <laughs> but I do, beyond, I think, the specific romantic dynamics of the relationship, I did, there felt like a lot of parallels between Avatar and this, in particular, some of the redemption arcs for some of the characters. So I'm, because of the show so goddamn good, I don't want to spoil any of it for Brent because I know he's watching it right now. But I do think that there's a lot of connection. But to your point, Clark, overall, I do think that there was a lot more, I think a lot of the decisions that some of the villains made pre and post redemption made a lot more sense connectively. And then in all honesty, like I, in all, I really did expect their, the Shira relationship to be very similar essentially. And I, and I think it played out a little bit differently from a romantic perspective. So, sorry, I'm doing a really shitty job of this. Yeah, Adam, Adam, I would agree with you, especially on the way they treat redemption um, and how much they try, villains try to either change or double down on what their character alignment is. Right. Uh, well, so I know we're, we're coming to the end, so I do wanna, it's been five seasons, only less than two years. Um, but let's talk about just real quick hits. Uh, who is your favorite character? Brent. Entrapta. Entrapta from Clark. I like I like how they they, they worked with um, one of their um, produce not producers but someone their employees is is a person with autism and actually mm. self like create shape the character which I find really I, I actually love that character. That's awesome. Um, for me, it's uh, Scorpia, uh, somebody who um, goes into villainy reluctantly because she was never she was never able to fit in with the rest of the princesses. Uh, and I, I like that as a motivation. And she was never truly bad. She just wanted to have friends. I think I'd probably have to pick uh, either Swiftwind or Catra, uh, but mostly from Swiftwind season one, where he just goes around and fucks <laughs> the shit in the background. Yeah, that's that's when that was. You said that's who I was, and then he became not <laughs> cool anymore. <laughs> I I want to give a shout out. My favorite, other than Double Trouble, is Seahawk. Mm. I appreciate a dumb, you enthusiastic, loud person. You love oh, watching like... yourself on TV. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. you, you're constantly setting ships on fire. Stop it. Sean, what about you? I love Bo. I, I, love, uh, I love a good, solid supporting character. Um, somebody who doesn't necessarily have all the skills as the rest of the princesses, doesn't have all the powers. Uh, but still fits in and, and really felt like the glue that kept a lot of them together. So I, I really enjoyed watching Bo and his kind of progression. Um, I loved all the characters so much personality wise that I am actually picking a storyline character because I think that Shadow Weaver actually has a really fantastic story connection relationships and such a nice end. Like that, I mean, besides a lot of that, I think the redemptions felt somewhat earned or at least somewhat interconnected. Like, it would, I really couldn't tell where she was going to go up until the end. And I'm like, I do think that that carried the emotional weight um, that, that it was, it was going for. Uh, and then favorite episode or moment in particular from the series. Oh God. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I enjoyed in this most recent season when um, Bo pulled out a arrow and it turned into a magnifying glass. That and they great. said, yes. you have a magnifying glass arrow? How did I not freaking win? Like it was, it was truly funny. I laughed a lot, actually. Yes, that's good. Um, for me, uh, going back to what I liked about the season a lot was the, you know, with Horde Prime and his clones, 
the way that uh, they kept referring to others as brothers and sisters, it uh, reminded me, and because we are mostly an X-Men podcast, of uh, some aliens that the X-Men fought called the Dire Straits, uh, and, or Dire Raids, excuse me, Dire Straits is a band in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> uh, money for nothing and checks for free. But uh, the Dire uh, Raids, who they were all, uh, all of their like aggressors in that, in that alien race, they were female and they referred to themselves as sisters. And there was something very like, like unsettling and creepy about it. And so the way that the clones did that was like, I'm getting unsettled by a children's show. Uh, and it was, it was, it's amazing that, um, that they were able to do that. I think I'd probably have to pick the show's uh, unrelenting dedication to trying to make tossing nets seem cool. <laughs> um. I'm still putting the prom episode as my favorite because that was where the show really hooked me. I was just taken, I was over the moon with how intense it was while also still being light and fun uh, in terms of stakes. I, my favorite is still the, when we were first introduced to Entrapta and she's like, you know, like a gremlin basically in her little laboratory, just like. <laughs> Small food. Yeah, exactly. Just a complete mess of a human being. I absolutely love her. Not a complete mess, but she's amazing. They make reference to the small food in this season, Clark. And that, for me, was a really rewarding moment where somebody yeah. presents her with something and she's like, do you have that smaller? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, five seasons for that payoff. On Very that exciting. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This season, I think I loved the episode with the star siblings. I think mm. that that was probably one of the more interesting, just to... A new character, you get Melog. I love a good cosmic pet, uh, you know, especially from Voltron where they get Cosmos, that sort of dog that follows Keith through the, the asteroid field. So I love a good cosmic space pet, always fun, uh, especially to kind of have that reference to the older She-Ra. The whole series in general, I still kind of love the D&D &D episode. Mm -hmm. Like where, oh, they're that all, was great. where they're in the tent and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and they have a chance to kind of nod to, uh, you know, the original She-Ra, but also with a, a, a framing story convention that's also kind of fun to, to see. It's yeah. a lot of the inspiration for She-Ra in general came from Noelle Stevenson playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was sort of fun to kind of see that further permeate the, the work that she's done. Nice, uh, cool. Well, this has been our extra issue for She-Ra season five. We've been Homo Superior, Sean of Saturday Morning Cartoons. Thank you for joining us. Do you want to plug your show real quick? Sure. Uh, if you want to talk more about cartoons on a weekly basis, you can check out Saturday Morning Cartoons, Morning with a U. Uh, new episodes every Saturday, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as also on Collider.com. Great. And you can find Homo Superior on Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Twitter, and generally being awesome in the D.C. area. So thank you so much. And to the power of Grayskull compels you. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. See you <laughs> later, everybody. <laughs>